0: Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical
1: costs. That's why United Healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Hi there, I'm Uma Nea, and welcome to the Girl Chart Podcast. During the series I'll be joined by some amazing guests and hearing all about their brand of brown girl magic as well as sharing stories and discussions with the South Asian twist we'll be getting stuck into the chart and the chat. I'd love to hear from you so please get in touch on Instagram at girlcharts. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Faiza Shaheen, who is the director of the Think Tank class, which works to challenge economic policies to ensure policy is on the side of everyday people. Faiza is also a prospective Labour Party candidate, hoping to unseat Ian Duncan-Smith in the next election, which could be at any time, no one knows. You'll also know Pfizer for her brilliant work as a social commentator. She's appeared on BBC's Question Time, Sky News and also writes for The Guardian and now she's on Girl Charts so she's really made it now. I'm going to speak to Pfizer about how her working class background has influenced the work she does and her thoughts on the representation of British South Asian women in politics I'd also like to talk to Pfizer about the very public incidents of classism and racism that she suffered. And it's going to be a Brexit-free zone because we've got way too much more important stuff to talk about right now. Welcome, Pfizer. Hello, how are Hello. you?
1: so good to see you. So good to see you.
2: Do you want to tell everybody, like, we know each other from way back. Tell everyone the glamorous way that we met.
1: Yeah, so many years ago, uh, <laughs> we worked in the same building. So I was on the ground floor. Ima was on the third floor and we met in the toilet one day after work and he was putting some makeup on going out on a date. And I was like, oh, well, I've got that concealer. and We just started chatting. Well, basically after that, we became friends and we'd go to the gym together. We'd see each other at the gym um, and I haven't seen Imra for years. It's actually, it's been for about years.
2: ten, maybe yeah, eight, eight, eight 10 years, years or something. But I saw Pfizer on Question Time, and I was like, "There's my friend from the toilets to my husband, who thought I was absolutely properly mad." He's no, like, "No," and my <laughs> husband as well knows Ima as
1: my mate from the toilet. So <laughs> hashtag Toilet Friends, everybody's got one. <laughs> but we were both just so talkative especially yeah. that time when we were so young we would just go around like making friends with everyone <laughs> yeah we <laughs> both very much have that and we
2: were both dating our now husbands at the time yeah it was at like the very so, start yeah we've been there from the very beginning like going on those dates putting on the YSL concealer yeah, hashtag please sponsor us <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Pfizer so good to have you on girl chart I'm going to start by asking you about your background, because I feel like so many of us, it's influenced what you do and the passion for what you do. So could you tell us a bit about your life growing up and how it's informed your politics today?
1: Yeah, so I am half Pakistani, half Fijian. My dad was from Fiji and my mum was from Pakistan. My dad met my mum on the run from the police, but that's a whole other story. That's another episode, guys. (laughs) And yeah, my dad was a car mechanic, so he lived in... Chingford and Wiffre Green which is where I'm standing to be MP. Um he moved there in the late 60s. He was one of the few people of color that was living there at the time. Um and when we were born, my brother, sister and I in the 80s, um we grew up uh with not a not a lot. You know, we were one of the ones that would be waiting for the checkout lady to come and mark prices down and my mum was she was mm-hmm. a good spendthrift. She was very good with um making money stretch we would be down at Walthamstow Market getting her fruit and veg. And <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Pakistani food is is easy to cook in bulk. We didn't grow up with a lot, but, and and so we were in a quite a mixed neighborhood. There was quite a lot of white working class people, but there were also some people that were a bit better off. And it actually did really inform my childhood um, and my politics. I guess at the time when you're growing up, you don't really know, you don't talk about issues with money. And my mum was pretty good at hiding it from us and the stress that she had. I think the thing that did really mark our childhood was that my dad was extremely unreliable and we had to mm. like move homes a couple of times. And we lived, I think the first time I really realized that we didn't, that we were in trouble was when I was nine and my dad had kind of left us in this house that would otherwise be sort of considered a condemned house. And um, really? it was, it had, we had no heating and my brother and sister and I used to get into the same bed to be warm. And he just went off on some affair. And it was just, you know, now I walk past that house quite often, actually. And I look at that house and I remember that. And now, you know, in my work, I've gone to the ambassador to France's house. You know, it's yeah, it's sort of insane. So, you know, my politics and even all of my research has been very informed by seeing both ends of the scale, because from that. I got into the University of Oxford, going to local state schools. I had some inspirational teachers and my mum was very, very good at encouraging us. And so I went to Oxford and I was exposed to the super elite and wealthy and just experienced a very, very different lifestyle. I mean, one that I couldn't afford. So I got into loads of day into, <laughs> at uni, but even just how often they'd go out to eat and, you know, not being able to keep up with that. But yeah, so my politics is very much informed by living in inequality, which most of us don't get to do. Most of us don't see both ends yeah, of the scale. Yeah,
2: it's, kind of, it's good that you're able to talk with so much personal knowledge of what it actually is like. And I mean, I think that helps people that you're helping because you're not looking from a uh, imagined viewpoint. You've experienced it. You've gone through it. I mean, it's so rare for people in the position that you're in to have actually experienced those inequalities you're challenging Ian Duncan-Smith for a seat in your home constituency of Chingford. Why was it so important for you to represent your
1: own town? So being a politician isn't really much of an enticing prospect. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everyone at home would be like, what? you know, the amount, <laughs> amount of my friend, and the amount of people that have said to me, why are you doing this to your life? Yeah. Because, you know, suddenly the floodgates are open to abuse and the rest of it. Um, yeah. But I guess when the opportunity came up in Chingford and Woodford Green to stand... I thought, well, one, I wouldn't stand somewhere that I didn't know. I think part of the problem that we find with politicians who are, you know, so-called parachuted in is that they don't really know that area. They don't really know what it's like to grow up there. Mm -hmm. They don't know the people. They don't know the communities. Um, And I thought, actually, this is an opportunity to stand somewhere where I can be authentic and it means something. And it hadn't been long since my mum had passed when I decided to run. And I just thought... To run somewhere that means that much to me, which is the streets I used to walk with my mum on, with my parents on, and have family in, that really means something. And I know that I'll put my heart into it because it does does make me feel something emotionally. Um, And so I just thought, if this is going to be meaningful because it's going to be hard but if this is going to mean something and if I'm going to you know work as hard as I can to win this then it I think it has to be where I grew up and also Ian Duncan Smith because I know that his policies affected so many people in this in this country and I get emails every week from people that tell me about what um, the reassessments have meant for their lives. So disabled people that have had to be reassessed. My mum was one of them. She had heart failure. You know, we had two people turn up to the house, question her quite aggressively. I mean, it was so upsetting for her. Someone at the time was in her late 50s, really sick, wanted to work and just felt like she was this burden or that she was cheating somehow. And just knowing, having seen that with my mum, There's so many people around the country that this means so much to. And I just thought this is a really important battle. Yeah. So he and I kind of represent a bigger battle that we're having in this country and really in many countries Mm -hmm. across the world of of a different, very different sets of values. So he's, you know, hardcore, uh, leave with no deal Brexit, old school, politics. he's, He's rich. He lives in a manor in Buckinghamshire. He doesn't live in the constituency. He's, you know, he's just everything that for me, I wouldn't want I don't want politics to be anymore. Yeah. So if I'm going to fight, then let's do this
2: so much power to you oh my god it's there's just so many layers in in your battle in your fight and I can feel that passion in that and also just when you said when you those are the streets you walked with your your family there's so many memories tied up in in that in its home it's home home. so you're gonna fight even harder yeah it's a huge battle and I wish you so much luck as you said you're an eastender Last year, you were very publicly mocked on Twitter by a Sky News journalist, we're not going to say his name, about your accent and accused of dropping T's to hide a posh accent. Obviously, I've known you a long time. Listeners, I can assure you her accent's real. It's mine that's fake. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think the awful classism you faced would still be happening if you weren't brown and a woman?
1: No, I mean, I think it's probably intensified because... I hit a number of trigger points for people. <laughs> Boxes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people find it difficult to listen to women, whether they they say all their T's or not. Yeah. And some people don't want to hear from you know Muslim women in particular. Mm-hmm. So I think I get it more. Um, but I think what's interesting about it is that classism or that kind of class prejudice seems to be something that's okay. And so whilst people might think twice about saying something racist to me making fun of the way I speak Mm -hmm. is somehow okay and I will get it like last week I was on politics live last Monday and I must have had about 30 different tweets messages and emails and letters I get to my office basically telling me that I can't speak properly what which is I mean when you think about it as well I'm really posh compared to like the people I grew up with. Yeah, and that's like saying that speaking in a working class accent isn't speaking properly. Yeah, which is so offensive. And also, the people that say you should you should speak properly when you go on TV, it's like saying that you should be embarrassed about your working class roots. And I'm not going to do that. No. That's just so, I mean, first of all, who are the people who can write a letter
2: to complain about that? It's just bonkers to me. Got time on their hands. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of time. But yeah, you've got to be who you are. And we need representation from everybody, not just a certain voice. And they clearly got so many prejudices.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's always people that disagree with me that yeah. say these things, right? And So
2: they're picking, they're just clutching at things. Yeah, definitely. Just to have a go, yeah. And
1: definitely, and part of the reason I'm running is because I'm fed up of parliament not looking like and sounding like us. Yeah, It just doesn't. It just doesn't represent us. Mm-hmm. So half of the Conservative Party, for instance, went to private school. It's still only 30% women. Mm-hmm. Uh, ethnic minorities are underrepresented by 50%. So why should I change who I am? I'm exactly the sort of person... That should be speaking out, that we should be listening to. Yeah. We just need more working class people. And part of the reason I'm here with you today, apart from that, I was really excited to see you, <laughs> is because, you know, I want to say to other Asian women out there, we've got to come forward, we've got to stand up, because whilst people will mock us and mm. they will, uh, we can't wait any longer. Yeah. One of the underlying reasons we're in this mess is because this country, whether you look at the media, whether you look at Justice judges, mm-hmm. whether you look at who's on telly or are, are almost exclusively from the same backgrounds. Yeah, um, and... it's very
2: identical. I think also something you've said just resonated with me because my my father uh, worked inequalities for local governments since the early seventies. I've been very proud of that. It's a shame that things haven't changed that much. Where people make decisions and you know powerful positions you're not seeing a representation of a society it's just still very
1: the few who look the same I think- and perhaps the best example of that actually is the cuts the austerity policy of the nine years in the last nine years yeah if there was someone at that table uh who was a disabled person mm-hmm. Do you think that they would have come up with the cruel policies that they have Mm. if there were working class people there, they wouldn't have been able to get away with an incredibly regressive policy that has hit working class people and working class women, ethnic minority women the most? Because our voice isn't at those tables, Mm -hmm. that's why we're getting decisions that are skewed towards the status quo and protecting the rich. Yeah. I think that idea of
2: representation in every walk of life, a lot of companies and businesses are starting to see the the flaw in not having somebody from every walk of life because decisions get made. Even advertising campaigns go out and you'll think, who signed that off? And also, (laughs) do you remember the the Beyonce story from the other day about, uh, I think it was Reebok and Adidas, and she walked into Reebok and uh, they wanted to sign a contract with her and she said, there's nobody here who looks like me, so why should I? So in life, I often think, what would Beyoncé do? So it's so true. It's so, it's so true. <laughs> On that same theme of representation, personally, I identify with what you're saying about needing more women in positions of power where policies are decided And then as a child of immigrants, I also believe there should be more BAME representation in all of those same areas. Do you ever feel under pressure to choose a particular viewpoint when you're campaigning about various issues?
1: No, I think it's really important for me not to put different types of equalities against each other. Mm -hmm. One of the things that has been really effectively done is almost like an equalities war that like race <laughs> yeah. is more important than gender yeah. no, gender is more important than race or you know class is less important and actually that word intersectionality the point that all of these identities can result in discrimination and it's often the overlap between them and for me as an economist by training it's really understanding the way in which the economy is making sure that those inequality stick Mm. so why is it that black men are disproportionately on zero-hour contracts for instance right the economy itself is acting in a racist way Mm -hmm. you know why is there so many women that are paid so poorly in social care when social care is such a valuable sector right looking after our parents and grandparents looking after our kids and yet there's some of the lowest paid jobs is it because they're women yes it is because they're women because Mm -hmm. the economy is sexist so for me it's always to say that we need to understand the underlying root drivers of those inequalities we see. And we have to understand both the way in which the economy is working and we need to understand prejudice. And prejudice, if they don't like me because I'm a Muslim, they're probably not going to like someone also because they're Jewish or a woman or, you know, so... You know, really it's about building solidarity amongst groups um, that understand what it's like to be on the receiving end of bad policy or prejudice. And to be on the outside.
2: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Another media storm, not by your own making, where not once but twice, Ash Sarkar, who's the journalist and activist, was referred to as Pfizer, live on air, once by a presenter on the BBC, Kirsty Walk, <laughs> and the first time by MP Nadine Dorries. What what do you make of that when that
1: happens? <laughs> I mean, there's part of me that wants to laugh when I see that. And I feel really bad because Ash is like 10 years younger than me. But there's another, <laughs> <laughs> there's another part of me that just gets really irritated because I know we know what that's about yes that's about two brown women yep speaking commentating speaking up on political issues Mm -hmm. and because we're both brown people can't see the difference between us yeah so they confuse us and that's partly because there aren't enough women of color who are political commentators um and that's partly because we still have people, for instance, referring to us as funny tinge. Oh, God, funny tinge.
2: (laughs) You know, people... Uh, Why?
1: This is the the point I always make. You know, we all have prejudices within us and we all have to be careful about the way in which we think of each other and make sure that we are not um, assuming things about each other. Mm Mm-hmm. Just because of a stereotype that society has set up for us. And we've all been socialized in various different yeah. negative uh, stereotypes about women, about people of color, etc. Um, and so when Nadine Dorries turns around and says, this is Faiza Shaheen... <laughs> standing in chicken with green and it's not me it was just like oh classic tories think all brown people look the same yeah um but actually when it happened with Kirsty, was actually a really lovely woman and she apologized straight away as opposed to nadine i realized that actually there's something much deeper going on here Mm -hmm. this is an ultimately an issue of representation and lack of and if people get more used to seeing different types of brown women and (laughs) ash and i are from different parts originally of south asia and we look very different they'll be able to tell they'll be able to tell the (laughs) difference Listeners, we are definitely,
2: Ash, if you're listening, we want you on the show. We're going to do a conversation, another episode. same, same. (laughs) Yeah, they all look the same with the three of us because I have so many stories of the same experience when I've worked in television as well. You try and when it happens, you try and think about why that might be happening. But really, the names, are like you and Ash, your names are different. You look completely different. You sound completely different. And it is really just based on the fact that you both have the same ish <laughs> color skin or a tinge hair. yeah exactly so we laugh at it but actually it does when you really think about it it does start to make you feel quite upset
1: because the second time i just thought it happened i just actually felt really insulted yeah because ash and i both work really hard we do different types of work we have yeah. different types of opinion um and we both speak out and for that not to be recognized for you just to be merged into any brown girl <laughs> is really offensive it's and it and it's like well look you know we've been out here working twice as hard as as my parents mm. told me to yeah. you know i've got a phd i've been doing this for years i've written countless publications and yet for you you can't even be bothered to recognize my face i go on newsnight constantly yeah. and that was hard actually that day i felt really offended
2: I can understand that and obviously like so many of our listeners would have experienced that uh in this the same the that same for you, thing for you but, I'm not an
1: individual person yeah
2: that's why it feels so painful and for you to have for it to happen on a public in the public eye I mean there's been so many other examples recently where people have tweeted the wrong picture of somebody like it needs to change um and yeah
1: Stormzy and Lukaku or something there was like they put a diff- I think, I think it was, it was a Lenny front. Lenny
2: Henry one as well. Yeah. Like, there's been a lot, and it's... I mean Nadine Dory said that Chris Eubank and
1: Chikamina look the
2: same. Oh, good <laughs> god! Such... Not even the same skin tone. I mean, it's it's, it's mind boggling. But yeah, like I said, keep listening, guys, because we're gonna get Ash on another time, and we're definitely gonna unpick this. So I've. Just come back from India well I keep saying that it was a couple of months ago but I'm still dreaming that I'm on holiday and I'm amazed every time I go there how fast capitalism is growing but there's still so much poverty and in the UK it really feels like it's getting to that you know that stage where there's such a huge gap between people who have and people who don't what do you think we as a society or capitalist societies need to do more of to be more inclusive?
1: the inequality is the defining issue of our time. You only need to open your eyes to see it, to see the extremes. Now, every time I get on the tube, there's someone that will be begging. That wasn't the case 10 years ago. Uh, We have let inequality run rife now. Uh, So the rich have got much richer in the last 10 years. The richest 1,000 individuals have seen their wealth double, according to the Sunday Times Rich List. They are so rich, like in every second, their collective wealth grows by 2615 pounds every second what? which is insane. insane and at the same time we know that the number of people going to food banks has ballooned now that in itself can upset most of us right yeah. that there's that level of inequality but when you have that pulling at both ends of society it has all kinds of consequences and that's what we see playing out whether it be uh, about um, knife crime whether it be about Difficulties of getting schools for your kids, whether it be about Brexit. I know this is a Brexit-free zone, yeah, I know, but, but certainly it's, all, is political it's like a consequence, press, pressure cooker. of yeah. inequality. And um, Inequality isn't even just about income or public or wealth or public services anymore. It's become extremely political. It's a political weapon that you hear Trump use, but you also hear Bernie Sanders use, and here you hear Nigel Farage and Corbyn. You know, you get it's yeah. being used on both sides, but as yet we haven't been honest about the changes we need to see in society to do something about it and that does require us to do something about Google avoiding tax, for instance. Mm -hmm. It does require us to shut down the tax havens that this country has such a close connection to. Um, It does mean uh, doing something more to bring in uh, like water and trains back into public ownership so that we have collective wealth again, that not everything is privatized. Yeah. You know, the market works for some things and it doesn't work for other things. And so somewhere like India, which, you know, I've noticed a difference there as well over time, they haven't been for a few years. Um, there's there's ways in which you can do capitalism that also redistributes wealth at the same time that brings people with you and what big think tanks like OECD which isn't a left-wing think tank what they found is that if you tackle inequality it actually helps the economy Um, and now we've got this new challenge of course it's not new but we've got this massive challenge of climate change so we actually cannot do capitalism as we've been doing anymore because the planet just can't take it so we've come to this crossroads where because of the levels of inequality the very visible impacts of inequality alongside climate and climate breakdown we have to rethink capitalism and that's why there's so many people like me that come out and say look we've got to take socialism much more seriously now we have to do much much more to redistribute and to make sure people have cheap housing and public transport and the rest of it because we just can't go on like this
2: and that's why the Brexit thing is is personally for me just annoying me so much because there are so many issues that are just getting forgotten about while the Brexit issue just carries on dragging on Pfizer one of your many many qualifications you've got a PhD you've got loads of stuff one of your many qualifications is a degree from Oxford University and Last year Oxford and Cambridge were heavily criticised for the lack of BAME students. What was your experience as a working class South Asian woman when you went to Oxford in was it in the like late nineties, early two thousands? Early
1: two thousands, yeah. So make me older than I am. Snap, snap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, I really hated Oxford. The snobbery, just how out of place I felt, the ignorant things that people would say to me, like Pfizer why is it that black people cause crime? No, oh, I know. And I, it was like I had to answer for all working class people <laughs> as well and I had to fight them on every stupid thing that they said. That said, there were also some really smart people that I learned so much from. And I was very much politicised when I was there um, by the experience. So people often think that my politics comes from all the things that I read at Oxford but it actually wasn't that it wasn't what I studied it was, it was experience it was the social experience yeah. of being in that world like I say that most of us don't get to experience if you come from working class background and just thinking this isn't right something here is not right um because I'm sitting in this tutorial with someone who's had thousands and thousands of pounds spent on their education And whilst they're good at saying all the right words, they're not as smart as people that I was at school with. Yet those people that I was at school with dropped out or haven't even gone to uni or were told that they should be secretaries rather than lawyers. And the whole experience made me so angry about economic inequality and the way that that plays out that it it really informed me. So whilst I hated it, I do not regret going there. Uh, because it's really a part of who I am. That experience is really a part of who I am. Uh, and sometimes I get criticized for going there. People are like, well, you're just another Oxford graduate. And I, I struggle with that because they're right that there are too many people in my world mm, that did that degree. Oxford, yeah. But my journey was very, very different to others. And also you know, for my parents, my dad, who was very much in and out of my life, I remember that time that I was at Oxford, he made more of an effort and I remember one day he came to see me or pick me up and he had tears in his eyes and it was so unusual for him and I was like "Uh, what's up Dan and uh he said you know Pfizer back in Fiji we used to do tests at school and it would say Oxford University at the top of the tests and I never imagined that my daughter would come here one day and so I cannot regret going somewhere that has politicized me and gave my parents so much pride before yeah. my mum died she looked at me and she said you gave me so much joy the day you got your results was the best day of my life i can never regret that so when people criticize me about going there i just think you don't know what it is for working class people to have a dream and to achieve that for your parents that is priceless i will never regret i will never regret it so
2: much of what we do as second and third generation yeah children is a fight for our parents yeah. we it's so much about opportunity and the children at school who didn't go to oxford who you knew had the the uh smarts to be there opportunity is still the thing that's missing i think in this country is to have that chance
1: and also being told that it's not your place yeah and that you don't belong there yeah, yeah. and that and you're right in a way what we're fighting for is not just for us and for what's happening right now it is a legacy of injustice, you know, I don't remember a time I wasn't told about the impacts of the empire, about the fact that people that looked like us were done over. Yeah. And that, you know, whilst my granddad fought in the war, that was never recognised or that for us, we were second class citizens. And that's still playing out today for, you know, in for instance, in the way that Shamima Begum, who was wrong, but had her had her citizenship, citizenship. Yeah. taken away. So there's so much to fight for, which isn't just about now, it's about the past, but it's also about the future. Because the only way we're going to change this, it's not just about policy, it's about who's making the policy. Yeah. So, you know, we've got a big fight on our hands, um, but we have to engage in it. Because if not now, then when? When we've got Trump as president and Brexit, <laughs> which is the electoral fraud... And Theresa May, who tells people that like us that citizens of the world are citizens of nowhere, then we have to fight. There's no choice.
2: Stop the world, I want to get off. (laughs) So as we've highlighted, it's not easy campaigning, putting yourself out there and fighting for change. What keeps you going, even though (laughs) you're getting horrible
1: letters from people and tweets and trolls, as the kids say? Yeah, I mean, I also get... Lots of support from people right. I don't know that message me or that have donated to the campaign that email me. And that keeps me going. Um, I think also looking at people on Instagram, so I follow lots of people I look up to, mm-hmm. whether they be uh, singers, whether they be politicians like Ilhan Omar. And I look to them and their fearlessness to inspire me and keep me going. So I do... I do do that. The other thing I do, this is my tip to anyone going on I'm telly, uh, going on telly or about to go up against a bunch of people that you completely disagree with mm-hmm. and that uh, often have a much more expensive education than you, is that I pump myself up with music. And right now, <laughs> I mean, traditionally, it's always been Beyonce, but I have to say that recently it's become Cardi B. What? Yes. This
2: is again another episode, not Solange. I pumped myself up for this. I love Solange. Solange. I do <laughs>
1: love Solange, but I just find like I the need hype. a bit of fight music because yeah. I know that I'll walk in, they'll ignore me in the green room. Like right. I'm just someone not worth speaking to. But when I go in that studio, they're going to know about me.
2: So you have like your Sasha Fierce moment,
1: essentially, exactly right so you have to pump yourself up for these things and that and that and, keeps in that going. moment and again like again these fearless women that have achieved so much and you know get hassled for it I yeah I look to them and just think well look we're doing this together we're moving forward together and and um, we've all got to do our bit in that so and this isn't sometimes I also tell myself it's not really about me it's about the bigger change that we need to see in society so I can't waste this platform that I'm so lucky to have that most people from my background don't get because then I'm just letting down you know everyone that has contributed to me being here and there's been a lot of people like old teachers that I've seen now and they're really sweet they're still there at my old schools who are just so excited To see how well you're doing. It's really sweet. They're just so excited that I might be the MP there.
2: (laughs) We have to wrap up, but, you know, you are fearless. And thank you for all the work you do just to make this world a better place for everyone. I know we've had to rush through a lot, but I really hope our listeners got a chance to see, regardless of their politics, got a chance to see why you're so inspiring and why you're inspiring so many people to keep fighting against inequality. So please come back again, because there's so much more to unpick and analyse and and understand especially as British Asian women and and actually to like you said be in those roles where you know we traditionally wouldn't be in politics and in government and I really hope you get your chance to go to battle soon I'll be I'll be cheering you on thanks listeners for listening and uh, I have to give a shout out to Aaron thank you who's been producing us today and we'll speak to you really soon